Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. All right. Well, I am excited to be able to continue on in our Ephesians series. This is a good word I've got today. We're in the sixth part of this message. And David asked me this morning, he said, so how long is this series going to go? And, you know, and I said, well, it's a good question. Funny thing, I started this a year ago. And uh, I don't speak on a regular schedule, regular cadence, but when I do, I'll probably do this. And it may take a couple years to get through this, but it's, uh, I think it's worth it. So anyway, so we are continuing this part of our series. It will be, let's go over the agenda really quick. We are going to be doing a review of some of the stuff we covered last time. We'll look at the overview of chapter three. And then the meat of today's message is Paul's prayer. And we're going to do some comparisons and look at three parts of the prayer. His preface, his petition, and his praise. So we will look at those things today. I'm trying to kind of go quickly through the review so we can spend a little bit of time on the meat of this. Amen. All right, so the review, the next thing we look at is the overall structure of Ephesians. If you bring that slide up, where we're at is we are in chapter three and we are in Paul's second prayer called the prayer for enablement. In chapter one, he had a prayer for enlightenment and this is the prayer for enablement. So that's where we are today. And then a review of chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is the section we talked about last time. We talked about Paul's condition, and he was a prisoner for Christ. We talked about Paul's grace, which was his, his apostolic calling to bring God's message to the Gentiles. And then we talked about grace notes, some of the things that just resonated throughout that. We talked about unfathomable riches and how it's a consistent theme in what Paul is saying to us about God's love for us, God's promises, God's benefits to us. We also talked about the mystery and how God's not in the business of concealing himself. He's in the business of revealing himself, of making himself known to us. He wants us to be completely in with him. We also talked about the eternal purpose and that's that he wants to dwell with us. He wants that communion, that fellowship with us. And then finally, we talked about boldness and confidence. Some of these things we're going to kind of see again echoing out as we cover the passage today. All right, our homework review. I'm a teacher, and as a teacher, you get homework. And maybe you do your homework, maybe you don't. But it's, uh, it's an opportunity to take a little look ahead maybe, to reflect on some things and let the Lord speak to you in a way beyond just what you get here in a, in a Sunday message. So last time, the homework was to read back through Paul's first prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and then read the prayer today. Compare the two prayers. What do they say about God's heart for us? So that's actually how we're gonna break down today's message. We're gonna kind of go right through this. So maybe you've done that, and if you did, Maybe some of the insights line up. Maybe they'll be different because God speaks to us all. And, and a quick one right here out of the message, but a, a freebie. I see God's word so often as a beautiful gem 
like a diamond in a brilliant cut. And that gem has so many surfaces or facets that when we look at God's word, sometimes the light comes to us and we see it in a certain way through one facet. And then at another point we come and we see it slightly different. And not only that, but but God may speak something to you that may be slightly different from me, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong or anything. It's just the, the beauty of how God's word is so rich. It's not like I read it once, I got it. Okay, good. But God can speak to us again and again and again through, through his word. All right. And then a quick overview of the structure of chapter three, what we've covered so far. This is Paul's prayer for enlightenment. Last time we covered his condition and his grace And then today we'll be covering his prayer. All right, we're gonna go through and read the full passage today. I'll I'll go ahead and read it out loud. This is from the New American Standard. This is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. So if you want to look that up in your Bible or on your phone or on your app or whatever method you wanna access God's word, I encourage you to do that. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's some good stuff right there. Okay, so as we break down this prayer, we're gonna do it in a comparison model and we're gonna look at the things side by side. So if you wanna bring up the next slide, we will have chapter one here on this side and we'll have chapter three on this side and we'll kind of go through commonalities and, and things that God is speaking to us through those. And we're also breaking the prayer into three parts. The first is the preface, the second is the petition, And the third is the praise. So in the preface, the first thing we see in the preface is this phrase, for this reason. And it's it's the same in both prayers. Paul says, for this reason, I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And what he's doing here is he's saying, hey, kind of in light of what we just said before, in the previous part of chapter one or the previous parts of chapter two and three. Because of these things, this is what I'm doing. And in chapter one, the message was that it was the introduction to God's amazing plan to unify all under Christ in a church. For this reason, I pray. And then in chapter three, we see further expounding on our possessions in Christ. We talked about how our position has been moved from dead in our sins, to seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ in him. We've seen that the possessions that he's promised us as his children, that's what he's saying. For this reason, I now pray. So it's kind of a, a cool thing. The next part of it is 
how he says that he declares that he's praying for them. In chapter one, verse 16, he says, for this reason, I make mention of you in my prayers, just directly out there. And then in chapter three, he says, I bow my knees before the father. I bow my knees. So he's just, he's just declaring that he's praying for them. A quick aside, doesn't it make you feel good when somebody lets you know they're praying for him? Isn't that comforting to know our brothers and sisters are praying for us? And I would just add the caveat that if God puts someone on your heart this morning and you're praying for him, reach out to them, let them know. Just let them know, hey, I'm praying for you. God put you on my heart, I'm praying for you. That's good. Okay, and then the, the third element of the preface is that the prayers are addressed to the Father. You see it in both verses. You see, to the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives his name, and to the Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father. And these are, they're not exactly identical in how they describe the Father, but that's okay because God's multifaceted, right? And, and it's just building on that. And the other thing I've found interesting here is that Paul is following the model that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how he opens this prayer for them. Okay, we're moving on to the second part of the prayer, which are the petitions. And this is really where the whole meat of the message is that we're working on today. It's the requests, the things that Paul is asking for. He says, hey, I'm praying for you. Father, do this for them. And so as we look at this, there are some distinctions in each prayer, but they often echo or build on each other. He doesn't pray the same thing, but as you look at them and compare them, you can see common threads kind of weaving through them. I was just like, wow, this is really cool. And as I went through and studied this, I was highlighting things and I put the two passages together and I highlighted different colors to match commonalities. And I went through, and as I went through it and, and kept putting my notes together, I kept finding other things that were like, oh yeah, that, that matches up, that matches up. It's pretty cool. So in chapter one, what's Paul's first petition? He asks that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. It's that prayer for enlightenment. He says, may God the Father give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing right there that God can let us see beyond that and, and have that knowledge. But in chapter three, it's a little different. And the, the request is that we would be strengthened by power through his spirit in the inner man. So he's praying for knowledge here and he's praying for enablement over here. The thing about being strengthened in power is that it recognizes a fundamental truth. We are limited in our natural humanity. In just our physical selves, we are incapable of really grasping supernatural realities. So it's a good thing to pray, Lord, give me the power to, to grasp it. Give me the power to understand it. Okay. The next thing that we see that he touches on is he uses the heart in both positions. In chapter one, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart 
may be enlightened. And in chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God's love in the heart. It's not just our minds that need to grasp the knowledge. We can't just have it up here and mentally understand it. It has to be more than that. These are spiritual things, and we have to know them spiritually. They have to be built into us, into our spirit. And in chapter 3, Christ dwelling in our hearts, for only with him and with his Holy Spirit within us can we fully walk in the full empowerment that he has for us. It's only when we're, when we're fully in him, when he's fully in us. The next one here, in chapter one, Paul asks for three things that he wants them to know. He says that you will know, and the first one is, what is the hope of his calling? What is the hope of his calling? This calling that he's pulling out here is really the calling or destiny for believers, for us individually, but us as believers in Christ. What are we called to? What is God drawing us to? What is that? That's the first thing he wants us to know. Over in chapter three, we don't directly have a petition in this next verse here, but we do have a groundwork statement that begins to develop his petition. And that statement is that you are rooted and grounded in love. It's the inception point. Rooted and grounded in love that... We are so solidly tied. And it's like this, okay, date me a little bit. There used to be this commercial for crazy glue back in the day that had a construction worker with a hard hat on and he glues himself to an iron beam, a steel beam, and then hangs from underneath it. It's like that point that's so solid and so secure that nothing can break you away from it. Being rooted and grounded in love. That's the idea that's here. Okay, and then the next one, Coming down that side here, we start there being rooted and grounded in love that we may comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depths of his love. And what we see is that it expands from that one single solitary connection point in every direction, side to side in breadth, length front to back, vertically, depth and height. He's going from that one single point in a geometric sense, if you will. What's one dimension? It's a single point. What's two dimensions? Two dimensions are a plane. You've got a single point, then you've got a line. That's the first dimension. Then two dimensions is a flat plane. And then three dimensions has all three. So he's kind of building on that. It's like that, that one point of starting with Christ's love as the founding, grounding point of us allows this extra-dimensional explosion. Back over on chapter one side, we see the second thing that he asks for us to know is that we would know the riches of his inheritance. The riches of his inheritance. We've seen this theme kind of throughout as we've gone through Ephesians. Riches are such a powerful thing. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? I think of inheritance. Inheritance is a bestowal of something that's supposed to belong to you. You are given an inheritance because it's your right. 
And Paul is saying that there are so many riches that are our right because we are his kids, because we are part of the body of Christ, because we are part of, of what he's doing. And in the saints, he's calling out directly God's purposes being worked through the church. This is a recurring theme that we'll see. Paul's continually mentioning the church and the body of Christ. The next coinciding note is the word surpassing in verses, both verses 19. And so the next section we see his love surpasses knowledge. And in chapter one, it's the surpassing greatness of his power. And the Greek word for that is hyperbolo. And it kind of has this idea to exceed, to go way beyond. It's like if you were to throw something, it just went far beyond where it was supposed to go. It's like this, it exceeds, surpasses. And it's that thing about being rooted and grounded is it's so surpassing. His love so surpasses anything that we can know or understand or anything that we can grasp in our own human nature. Okay, moving on, we're getting down to wrapping up the last part of the petitions. And we see in chapter one, verse 23, we see this word fullness. And we also see it in chapter three, verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. It's the request that Paul has for us, that as we are rooted and grounded in love, that this love just fills us, we would be filled with the fullness. We would be completely saturated and overcome with the fullness of God through his love. It's that love that's such a powerful dynamic acting force that allows us to be completely filled. And in chapter one, Paul is specifically calling out, I like this term, he says it's the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ's church, his body, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything. It's, he has such an amazing love and destiny for his people, for the church, yes. that the body of Christ fully is filled with his fullness. It's, it's a little bit mind-breaking, but it comes back to that purpose that God has, that he wants to make himself known to us in every last detail. Nothing held back. He wants us to have the fullness of him those mystery religions that we talked about last time where if you're initiated into them, you'd get some secret understandings and as you went a little deeper, you get a little more, a little more and God's not like that. He's saying, I wanna give it all to you. I wanna fill you fully with the fullness. So fullness, that's a good one. All right, we're moving into the last section of the prayer in the praise section and we're gonna essentially step through it on the chapter three side, because this kind of goes sequentially and we'll pull in some verses from chapter one. They may not be exactly in order. The first thing that really stuck out to me in this is the word far. He is able to do far more abundantly. And then verse 21 in chapter one, he is far above all rule and authority. Chapter three, 
abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. He's able to do abundantly beyond. And far beyond that. It's, it's like this fullness that just fills us up is gonna just exude beyond our, our natural capabilities just to, to understand it and grasp it, which is great. And then in, in chapter one, I thought it was instructive to see that if you tie it in, it's Christ's power because he has been seated far above all rule, authority, all power, all dominion. What's Christ's position in spiritual authority is what allows us to have that power that lets us be able to do far above that power will do far above abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. All right. And then in verse 20, we see this phrase according to, and in chapter one, it's in accordance with. And what's he saying here? What's the object? In chapter one, it's the power without. He's saying because of God's plan and God's fullness and what he's doing in the church and in his body, God's power is tied to his work in the church, in the earth, extending the kingdom of God. Where in chapter three, he's tying it to the love, being rooted and grounded in love, far surpassing what we can grasp or think. We can do according to that power. And that's the power within us. It's tied to his love. In the next verse, verse 21, we're getting to the home stretch here of the message. We see this, to him be glory in the church. And he's explicitly tying it back here to the theme that we've been seeing about the church, about the church. The church is the body of Christ. In chapter one, the church is the body. Christ is the head. All things are subject to the head to Christ. Everything is subject to him. He is above all. And as the body is filled with his fullness, all things are subject to the church. As we are fully in him and in that fullness, all things fall under the church, fall under us as believers. And that's one of the key primary points of Tony's messages. If you remember, he did a series last year, and I think maybe a little bit in the year before, on the kingdom of God. You remember that? The kingdom of God. And he talked about what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean? What does it mean for us to be in the kingdom, to, to bring the kingdom? This is it. Christ the head filling the church. The church is above all. And now everything is subject to him in the spiritual, which is amazing. And as we learn to walk in that, as we learn to, to let that flow out of us, it dynamically changes the world around us. And finally, at the end of verse 21, we see eternality, the eternal perspective, the heavenly perspective that we've said, we've understood that a lot of Ephesians is explaining things from God's perspective in what's happening through God's plan for the church and for believers individually. The verse says, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. And in chapter one, we see well, not only in this age, but the age to come, God's eternal purposes don't change. 
His eternal purposes don't change. They go on forever. All right. Got a little bit of homework for you for next time. So next time, read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and note the uses of the word one, the idea of unity. It's used a lot there. We touched on it in one of the previous lessons. We talked a lot about that. I said there's more coming. Well, this would be a real powerful section. So take a look at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, and look for the uses of the word one. And finally, I want to close out with some reflections on Paul's prayer. The first one is the surpassing love of Christ. It's just so evident and so rich in this passage. It's immeasurable. His love is uncontainable. It fills all the fullness. But I want to bring it a little bit more personal with something that the Lord showed me in particular. And in a situation in my, in my own life recently, the Lord kind of showed me an image of the situation as a burned bridge with timbers charred and broken down. And there's no way to cross that in my own strength and in my own power, there's really nothing that I could do. And I couldn't really conceive being able to get anything rebuilt. How do you make that right? How do you take something that's been so ruined and destroyed and restore it? And I would say that I was kind of stuck there in that place of not seeing a way to span the gap. But then in this picture, the Lord showed me something else. He showed me a steel span like a military bridge. Want to pull up the next picture right here. All of a sudden, you can just slap down this huge steel span and the, the military uses things like this to put a span over a broken bridge. Maybe they'll blow it up before they come in and they'll slap a span down and go across it. It's immeasurably stronger than the ruined timbers and supports. And for me, that revelation was Christ's love, that surpassing love of Christ, that's what can span that gap. It doesn't rely on my my personal feelings or emotions. It doesn't rely on human feelings, despair, anger, hopelessness, or loss. If I can recognize that his love can span that gap and I can declare that and I can say no matter how I feel no matter how bad the situation is Lord your love can span it your love can cross it I can cross it on your love and all the other underlying stuff maybe it'll get fixed maybe it'll get repaired maybe it'll be replaced whether or not it does or doesn't I can still cross in his love that gap can still be spanned through his love that surpassing power I can walk in Christ's love and get over all of the ruins of destruction 
Finally, the next reflection is abundantly beyond. Abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. His power is so exceedingly great. We cannot out-ask. We cannot out-believe God. He is able to do abundantly beyond, far above all that we can ask or think. He can restore that burnt bridge. He can do whatever it is that you need him to do, and he can do it in ways that you couldn't even comprehend. That's how strong his power is. That's how powerful it is for us. Even in my situation of ruin and desperation, he is able to do abundantly beyond all that I ask or think. So I'd ask you, what do you need him to do? Where do you need that surpassing power of Christ active in your life? I just will close us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your surpassing love. And Lord, if there's something that needs that span to cross, bring it to our minds. Help us proclaim it. Help us to declare it. Help us to walk in it. Help us to believe. And Lord, your abundant power above and beyond all that we can ask or think. Help us to learn to grow, to ask those big things outside what we even think of now because we know we can never out-ask or never out-believe you. We thank you, God, for your beauty of your word and the truths that we've heard today. We pray that you would plant them like fertile seeds in our heart and grow up a great harvest for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 